0: I'm Olivia Wilson and welcome to ThoughtShare, a safe space to share your thoughts on topics that matter to you. I sat down with some more poets because I had so much fun in the last poetry episode. Um, this time I spoke to spoken word educator Christian Foley, lecturer um, in creative writing at the University of Worcester, Jack McGowan, and another poet uh, based in Scotland, Joe Gilberts. Um, well I suppose, should we go round and introduce ourselves just so you know who each other... I'll start um so I'm Olivia I'm a freelance journalist based in Glasgow I work mainly for the BBC I've got bylines in the Guardian uh mainly kind of working in broadcast um but I do stuff for online um and digital as well and in my spare time I like to write poetry um and I'm really I did an English lit degree uh before you know going into journalism and um, doing my master's etc and yeah I have a big affinity towards uh spoken word poetry. I don't claim to be a talented poet myself but you know it is my hobby, I do dabble. Um, So that's me, Uh, Jack, you were first in so (laughs) I'll allow you to introduce yourself. Hi
1: I'm Jack McGowan, I'm a senior lecturer in creative writing at the University of Worcester and I did my PhD in contemporary spoken word in the UK and I'm uh, currently co-editing a Book of collected essays uh, that's due to be published by Routledge in April next year on um, spoken word in the UK with about, I think, about 30 35 practitioners, critics, scholars in spoken word.
0: Awesome. And Christian?
2: Uh, I'm a spoken word educator. So that's, we're affiliated with Goldsmiths University. So we were teachers who were trained in spoken words using that within the curriculum. So we're based as part of an English department of a school. Uh, over a a long period of time so I've been a pupil referral unit for the past seven years so working with children who are expelled and then creating like we do like a book each year like of all their work and stuff which is really cool because they're the kind of students who never normally write or get heard um so my job is to help them with that
0: awesome job um and finally joe
3: uh, I'm Jo Gilbert, and I'm a spoken word artist and writer from Aberdeen uh, in Scotland. And um, I don't know how any fancy titles. <laughs> um, and I've been kind of on the sort of Scottish uh, spoken word scene for a few years now.
0: Um, and that's- Amazing. Okay. Well, now we've had our introductions. First question I'm going to pose to Jack. Hopefully, you'll be able to answer this for me. Where does spoken word poetry come from? Because my impression is it's, well, I thought it was all from America because that's how I discovered it on YouTube. But I think it kind of goes way, way further back if we're kind of, you know, talking about, I think I was speaking to a poet and she was talking about kind of African culture and oral stories. So I suppose it depends how far you want to go back. But I mean, yeah, where does spoken, spoken word poetry kind of derive
1: from I guess yeah the the idea that spoken words derives from poetry and is poetry is it would be not inaccurate the oral traditions of all cultures um, contain elements of performed poetry and performed storytelling spoken word was actually a category invented by the grammys so the title spoken word was um Coined by the Grammys to separate spoken word from other forms of art and music that were being presented at the Grammys. So it has the, the label spoken word has sort of commercial origins. It's often associated, the sort of contemporary idea of spoken words, often associated with America because of the boom of the slam in the early 80s and yeah. the 90s, um, which began in Chicago and sort of migrated across the world really and there's so there's a a much richer and bigger perhaps scene of spoken word in america or that contemporary idea of what spoken word is but it's quite a big tent really performance poetry in general and as i say like it it pervades all poetry all written poetry um and sits underneath lots of what we'd call written poetry so the idea of categories and distinctions is is becomes really cloudy and mixed the kind of closer you look into it
0: Hmm. and how have you noticed that I'd say in like the last five years personally you might disagree have you noticed that there's been a kind of rise in, in, in popularity and I suppose accessibility and particularly young people being able to access spoken word poetry and and if so why why is that does social media have something to do with it
1: I th- very much so I think um, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about digital mm. poetry and digital spaces for poetry considering the current the current environment but uh certainly the rise of the internet and the proliferation the ability to access spoken word it's been really benefited from media platforms and social media and file sharing um, it, it, it did. I, over the last sort of five, ten years, it's received a lot more media attention, but it has been there. There have been spoken word scenes, open mic nights, um, for the last few decades, really, uh, all over the country. Um, but it's sort of becoming more visible, and more of a an activity um, than perhaps it. Was previously. There's a lot more networking and national networking between different spoken word scenes now. Things like Uni Slam or the the Roundhouse Slam have, or the Spoken Word Educators Program, is spreading around the country a lot more.
0: Mm. And Christian, I think it's appropriate to bring you in to this at the moment. Um, so obviously, you know, as a kind of spoken word educator, I mean, first of all, how did that begin, and how difficult or easy was it to make poetry appeal to people from different walks of life, to young people, to people who maybe wouldn't have necessarily kind of been drawn towards poetry?
2: Well I think, I mean first of all from a a financial standpoint, the spoken word educator program failed, it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Uh, Funding collapsed after two years from the Arts Council because there wasn't enough money um, to actually do this. So there's only, it trained 10 poets some of whom, like Raymond Antrobus, Dean Atta, uh, Pete Bearder, who's just written the, you know, like the history uh, from Homer to hip hop of spoken word. So that'll be interesting for you, Jack. I think um, it's, it's on the back. bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, thought, I thought you'd have that. I haven't even read it yet. Um, so all these all these poets came through that um, that program, but it it proved to be unsustainable. Um, in the long run because schools started seeing spoken word as a luxury that was detracting from academic performance, which was wrong, right? It it doesn't do that at all. But because of the pressure to teach to the test, having a poet in school wasn't seen as something necessary. Therefore, when when the funding was cut, schools wouldn't fund those poets themselves. Um, So it was very difficult to keep poets in schools, sadly. Um, But luckily, I think for me, managed to get in with the TS Eliot Foundation and they sponsor me to work in in the inner city in Hackney um, where I've been ever since Um, and I think that in terms of bringing poetry to those spaces it's always been there Um, it's just that a lot of the children I work with they've had such a negative experience of what poetry was told to them that it was you know they, they saw poetry as something by dead people in dead books full of dust that had no relevance to their experience of life at all. Yet, if they were recounting their journey to school on the bus, they were, they were using innate poetics to do it. You know, the slang and the metaphors and the imagery that our children use was is, is amazing. Um, and when you say, you know, that's poetry as well, that surprises them at first because they think poetry is, is Carol Ann Duffy and that's it um, because that's what they had for a bit at GCSE before they got expelled. So it's all about um recontextualizing what poetry is and kind of making making people realize that it's it is accessible and anyone can do it and it is for anyone. But I understand why, you know, like a 15-year-old child growing in Hackney would look up poetry and think, oh, this, you know, this doesn't relate to me, because I think at school within the education system a lot of the poets that we're teaching you know are not necessarily speaking you know Wordsworth he's not really speaking to us anymore um and it's still you know it's still on the curriculum I like that the Wordsworth poem that's on the curriculum stealing the boat but it's it's awful like in terms of trying to learn that um so a lot of people are put off by poetry so my job is to help them come back to it I guess.
0: And Joe. I mean what are your thoughts about this I mean when you're writing your poems do you have that in mind are you trying to make it accessible to you know as many you know readers listeners as possible or is it just kind of an outlet personally for you um hmm,
3: I don't know I think when I'm writing like I have very little control over what comes out but like you know I I agree with all the kind of points that's been made And, and because I'm quite new to this like I would have never got into poetry if it hadn't been for the tutor at university introducing me to it you know kind of when I went back into education a few years ago that's not what I wanted to be and then I got introduced to something that kind of set my brain on fire um, and I started writing poetry but the kind of people that sort of inspired me were um like Edwin Morgan and Tom Leonard, who are both kind of Scottish poets, but Tom Leonard wrote in phonetic Glaswegian. Um And it was like, wait a minute, I can write how I speak. <laughs> like, nobody ever told me that I had permission to do that. You know, like, I write a lot of Doric, which is the kind of dialect, <clears throat> northeast dialect of Scots. And, you know, I was like, well, I can write with a stick. <laughs> That's okay, you know, because there's Permission, there's spaces, but it's permissible to speak properly. And there's, you know, like spaces at home. where if I'm speaking to my mom, I can speak how, fit why over the pain can. But nobody ever told me that you could write the same way that you speak. Um, and so that kind of really inspired me, and that kind of got me into the whole spoken word thing. And and then obviously kind of find YouTube and, and get a little bit more into it. But yeah.
0: How important do you think this idea of acceptance and you know having an identity is in terms of in the poetry scene in the spoken word poetry scene because for me it seems to be a lot about people finding literally their voice and I wonder you know how common a factor is that um, among poets in in this kind of sphere? Um,
2: Well I mean spoken word as movements go is probably the most inclusive movement you could have you know Well, I mean it's very counterculture and a very democratic space although I have noticed as it starts becoming quote unquote cool it's been co-opted by a lot of brands nationwide for what you'll see uh I bet everyone's (laughs) you know been asked at some point to do a nationwide advert so you are seeing different even within the spoken word field you're still seeing different cliques and different divisions and different styles But I think, broadly speaking, it's such an inclusive genre. I mean, if genre's the right word for it. Um, that I I think what's great is that a spoken word night, you could see, you know, 30 different poets, 30 different ways of doing poetry, and each is as valid as the next. I think that's that's one of the strengths
1: of it. Um, Yeah. I suppose those traditional sort of tokens of gatekeeping that exist in lots of other different cultural forms and art forms like publishing, doesn't really exist in a spoken word, in lots of spoken word scenes, all you need to do is turn up with a poem and yeah. perhaps, maybe pay an entry fee and you'll be able to perform in front of everyone. Yeah. I think that, that question of identity, and there's lots of spoken word that does deal with identity mm. in a way where you. it's different, it's a different distance from your audience when you sort of put a book out and they might pick it up on a shelf in Waterstones and you have a vacuum interaction with them, but you're in front of them. So there's a lot more of a kind of a sense of identity built into a lot of spoken word because you're performing you and they can see you. And I think you do get lots of poems that err towards that. But also, as Christian said, it's such an inclusive space that it encourages that kind of discussion of identity and talking and sharing
0: I suppose there is that other layer of intimacy in performing a poem as well, because, I mean, it's, poetry tends to be, I mean, depending on the subject matter, but it is, generally speaking, you know, there's a level of vulnerability there, there's a level of emotion there, but I think there's something particularly, cheesy as to say, quite magical about being in a room when someone's performing, you know, something so personal, it almost feels like you're getting access to reading their diary, but you don't get the guilt that goes with it you know they're giving you permission to to read you know their their kind of innermost thoughts and secrets and feelings and be part of that and I don't know I I can't think of any other art form at least to me that quite does it the way that spoken word poetry does and I don't know I wonder how that's developed do you feel that obviously because I kind of had exposure to it by literally just looking online and just kind of stumbling it onto it do you feel that that takes away that intimacy or do you feel that it just makes it more as we say accessible to loads of other people
3: Hmm. it's it's difficult I think it depends like for me personally nothing beats a live audience and a live performance you know watching a poet performing on a digital screen is okay just now and it's kind of giving me my poetry fix but there's not the same intensity to it as a live it's the same as a gig you know, kind of watching musicians on the telly, is not the same as being at gig. you know what I mean it's like <laughs> ch- ch- chalk and cheese and I think poetry is the same, you can have elements of it, you know, and even when it is being recorded live and that, you know, there are people in the audience you can kind of get the vibe of what's going on there but I don't think there's that same connection um,
0: Is that what kind of drives you to do spoken word is it about that audience connection is it about that kind of feeling that, that, that someone is understanding what you're trying to say as well as it is it about that kind of relationship with the listener slash reader I yeah
3: I think it is like I really wanted to make people feel
0: things
3: <laughs> that was the kind of first like the first um you know kind of performance film I ever watched was Neil Hilburn and it was OCD and that bit where he says you know, at the end, I leave the door, I leave the lights, you know, I, I I unlock the door, I leave the lights on. And you can hear people like audibly gasping, and I'm getting used thinking about it just now, and I just thought, that's that's what I want to do to people when I'm writing. I want to be rattling around in their head long after the spoon word night's finished or the home is finished, or you know, whatever it is, your kind of medium that you do, I still want to be rattling around in their head. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but I just really
0: like that idea I also, I was just going to pick up on what you were saying about, you know, how it's kind of getting you through. I know we said we wouldn't talk about COVID, but it's happening. I just thought I'd mention it. Um, Do you think it is quite a useful and kind of therapeutic outlet to have? You know, how can poetry? It seems kind of idealistic to say, but how can poetry really kind of make a difference? We don't have access to you needed know, usual support systems we might have in this time but I am and we don't even have access to as you say those connections and that audience we might seek from writing these poems but is there still something to be said about you know putting pen to paper and just kind of writing your thoughts and writing how you feel and that being the kind of first step I mean Christian obviously working with young people and as you say from really difficult backgrounds that might be something you were familiar with long before Covid happened
2: yeah I mean I mean, for a lot of our children, I don't think the lockdown has made too much difference because they've been kind of locked down a lot of their lives, really, where they're in and out of institutions or incarcerated or you know, in trouble with the police, um, living in poverty. It, ha- it hasn't had a huge, um, you know, this hasn't been a-, a calamitous disaster to their lives in the sense that it may have done, you know, for the middle classes who have suddenly had to drastically alter the way that you, you go about your day. Um, so I I think that yeah the, the the effect that poetry has had on them is as true now as it would have been five or six years ago, and that effect is yeah um, I often say if I'm if I'm working um, like in a prison we we'll focus on escapism rather than escaping because they're two very dif- different things right because when you can't physically leave leave a room you have to use your imagination in a way that can be therapeutic to provide that window when the door is locked. And I think that writing is one way of doing that. And particularly with the children I work with, you either get two strands, broadly speaking, of what they write about. They will either write the gritty reality of their lives or they will write something completely different. Could be like a a fantasy unicorn world. Mm. Um, So it's interesting how how trauma can kind of trigger one or two responses. It can be journalistic or it can be completely um, imaginative and escapist in its um, source. So I think, yeah, during this period and, you know, in similar times of strife, I think that writing is, I mean, we all do it. We all, you know, as poets and writers constantly write, uh, you know, and I think that if you're an open mic night, what you're probably, showing or showcasing is just the tip of the iceberg right the visible surface of all the massive work that you've been collecting over a a period of time um so i think that it's important to write all the time especially now yeah
0: do you think and you mentioned as well this kind of idea of you know trauma do you think people are surprised with how much they have been carrying until they see it written down you know when they start writing down kind of all their thoughts feelings these imaginary worlds do they kind of look back and are a maybe perhaps surprised about what they've managed to you know produce but also surprised with how much they had been carrying that maybe they hadn't realized before I mean maybe not but I'm just I I wonder is that is that something that you've come across
2: yeah no I mean if you're in a flow state of writing where you're just in a stream of consciousness, you might not be you know necessarily that conscious of how much you're you're talking about um I mean the trouble is with in in the kind of settings that I'm working in uh it's it's difficult because you're you're getting a lot from the child but also you've got a lot of forms to fill out constantly about this you know it's I'm a creative practitioner but also you know I'm I'm pastorally I you know the children have to be in a safe space and yeah so I think that yeah, but we are doing a lot of work. Uh, I think my work crosses over a lot with social services and, and counselling services because children who might not want to speak to their counsellor because they see it as part of a system that they're opposed to, um, they are more willing to be in a music studio and, and do a rap about it. Um, but still then, you, you, you know part of my job is to say, okay, you've said this, that, and we'll need to talk about that further. So the poetry is kind of a route, a root into it, um, rather than, um, just the end of something, mm. which it, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Cause I, I don't know whether I'm exploiting poetry in order to, <laughs> to, to kind of forcibly help someone. Um, so it's a tricky one, but that's, that's, this, you know, the way it is really.
0: For the greater good, maybe. But Jack, um, I do wonder as well, um, kind of coming from an academic point of view, cause you talk about, we've previously talked about, you know, what that spoken word is meant to be something that's accessible to lots of different people there's no kind of rules but is there such thing as you know a good what makes a good spoken word poem you know from this kind of academic point of view is there such thing as a rubbish spoken word poem and a good spoken word poem like what criteria does one have to meet (laughs)
1: um i think there's there's good poetry and bad poetry. There's good books and bad books. There's good audiences and bad audiences as well. I think you, you, it's difficult to divest the two. Um, if a poem forms an emotional kind of engagement or has an you have an emotional response from an audience or an audience member, that's a success. Um, there are obviously form and genre and style and tricks and tips to sort of increase the the effectiveness of the poem but i do believe strongly in the idea that sp- spoken word is there to 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 introduce people to new ideas and to new emotions and to make them feel those emotions strongly um and maybe think about the world a bit differently so work that does that i think succeeds work that maybe doesn't challenge or or doesn't cross into new ground or just states the obvious is, is where we might be moving into this I hesitate to call poems failures because I think all poems can succeed on their own merit in some way but um, and I know lots of my students would question that for the grades I give them <laughs> but I think like think with spoken word in particular it is a lot about the audience as well um, and how it's being received.
0: Joe, you know what to you is a good poem have you ever kind of written a poem and gone no it's not ready yeah I need to come back to this because for any particular reason what you know, in your kind of creative process, what do you makes you put the pen down?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's subjective because you know, kind of like art, there's stuff that people you know you like and you know you like this particular artist and you know I think sometimes poetry can be the same, you know, like people that I know, you know, my pals that are into poetry, it's like, oh did you read such and such? And you know, I'm like you know and then other people kind of they're, they're raving about them or the complete opposite I'm like oh you have to go blah 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 and they they didn't really like it so I think you know if you're kind of thinking about it from an academic point of view yeah there's you know you can kind of analyse it that way but I think you know good and bad does it have to be either sometimes you know there's things that I maybe like about you know a certain person who's a performer and I will just naturally like everything that they do you know and it, I suppose you can apply that to music as well there's certain bands that you know even maybe not their best albums and I still listen to it because I really like them so I don't know maybe that kind of comes into it as well
0: which poets inspired you um or did you kind of discover them after you discovered poetry like oh.
3: well yeah I mean the first thing that really had an impact on me was um John Milton's Paradise First which I had never read before and I would have dim- dismissed as being wordy blah <laughs> <laughs> and I was not interested in reading stuff like that. I went back to you to be some kind of um you know nineteen fifties sci-fi writer like you know. Um, Ray Bradley or Ursula Le or Phil that's what I wanted to do because that was the kind of stuff I read. I'd never really read much poetry um, and I thought it was rubbish. <laughs> but I got introduced to this and it had a profound effect on me um, and then I kind of started looking at the spoken word and I got introduced to John Leonard and Edwin Morgan, and, you know, kind of a lot of these sort of Scottish poets. And then I kind of started looking at performance poetry and um you know, kind of writing in my own language a little bit of dark stuff and yeah it just kind of took off from there.
0: And Christian what poets kind of steered you on, steered you on to um, the, the career path you're in now?
2: Um I mean I, I wasn't from a kind of background where I, I really knew about poetry um yeah. I specifically remember being about 15 and doing it at school, but I didn't know that what I was doing was spoken word. Um, and everyone made fun of me for it. Um, I came from, like, quite a laddie environment. And I, I do remember the fact that I did poetry. Everyone would call me gay, right? The, the, so poetry is a gay thing, which, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in, in, the,
0: yeah.
2: in the, the fragile masculinity that sees vulnerability as something to be ridiculed but, um, yeah. but it was something I wasn't expected to do because you know I was playing football and rugby and all that and all these traditional spaces where where the, the other boys for poetry never belonged um, but then ironically when uh when I started it was because um Benjamin Zephaniah came to my school wow. uh, and I met him um and then he was due to come back over for a, a performance. Uh, I, live, I grew up in Chandler at this time and I was 15 and his flight couldn't um, get in because it was fog. And he was due to be doing this performance at the Opera House, which is like the one arts venue that Jersey has. Um, and then they canceled it. Um, but my English teacher spoke with Ben I and they arranged for me to do it in his stead. And after that, um, he heard about it, gave me a call, and then invited me over to the UK um, to start competing in slams. Um, and so I started mm-hmm. winning some slams in London about 16 or 17. Um, and that's how I got into it. So it was, it was, it was the fog and Benjamin Zephaniah um, <laughs> that, that combined to, to give me a career in it. But it wasn't until I um, started the Spoken Word Education Programme that I started doing this you know, as a profession um but yeah it was a lot it was a lot of good luck and a lot of surprised people because uh people didn't think that this was the life that i would choose um but i'm very glad that i did
0: that's such a cool story to be like oh yeah Benjamin zephaniah just you know steered me onto my career path that i'm in now
2: that's so Uh, loads of people have that story he's such a good guy uh he's like He's like a poetry recruiter. As soon as he sees someone that he thinks has potential, he'll go out. With, you know, he doesn't have to do these things. Yeah. So the knows, and I've got. I know loads of people who have similar similar stories from him.
0: Oh, amazing! And Jack, who are your kind of big faves? I'm sure you're going to have a long list for me, having been so exposed to poetry. <laughs>
1: um, spoken word artist at the moment.
0: Yeah. I, I, I guess. At the beginning, you know, whatever, whatever suits you really.
1: I think there were, I I didn't really get into spoken word um, performance until I was at university and um, starting doing slams and doing open mic performances. I think poets like Buddy Wakefield or Taylor Marley um, or um, Patricia Smith, the sort of classic spoken word legends. Um, But also I don't want to overlook the relevance of like page poets or poets who would traditionally be identified on the page but are actually fantastic performers like Luke Kennard, for example, is a a fantastic performer as a poet um, and and resists kind of being categorised. So I scooped up loads of different influences um, and just sort of tried to make the best of it from there. Um, (laughs) I think that's the way forward. (laughs)
0: No, I mean, I I found um, Maya Angelou um, just reading her poetry. I kind of literally, I mean, I, I hate to say I stumbled upon her as a teenager, but I just I kind of did. I wish I was just taught taught um, her, but um, no, I just I just found her poem "And Still I Rise," the most incredible thing I'd ever read, and then I found a clip of her on YouTube and performing it and I was, just, you know, it took my breath away and I kind of got really obsessed with her and finding out about her, her life and her history and it, the life that she lived was just remarkable. Um, and yeah, that's how I ended up kind of searching for more. I, I was kind of craving more from other people and just kind of looked online and for digital and that's kind of, um, you know, how I got exposed to button poetry. Um, so Olivia Gatwood, um, she's quite new on the scene in, in America. Um, and, and that's the thing. I, I do wonder, you know, it is huge in America. I wonder if, you know, that's going to come to the UK. Has it already arrived in the UK? Are we still kind of, are we ever going to get to that point? Because America's so big? Well, I mean, what do you think?
1: I think this is a really... Rich scene at the moment is my, yeah. my, uh, They have things like Poetry Slam Incorporated in America, it's a lot more kind of structured yeah. But we have things like Apples and Snakes At the Roundhouse, uh-huh. we have poets like Malika Booker and Vanessa Kasule And Caroline Bird Who again wouldn't, ne- wouldn't necessarily Be a spoken word artist But yeah. is just a beautiful performer um, we are, We're Holding our own I'd say on the UK Scene yeah. um,
2: Did you ever do um, Malika's Kitchen Did you hear about that? Yeah.
1: I wish. Not, yeah, I've not not been never been. Um, and I know it's sort of gone through loads of different iterations now. But it's that has been a phenomenal space for poetry in the UK. Yeah, kitchen.
2: People come through like Roger Robinson, Portable yeah. Paradise. People come through that. I've never been either. I just like. I'm making a I,
0: mental note. I'm just like.
2: <laughs> it, yeah, it, it it was kind of her space that she curated and created for the rise of the spoken word scene. I reckon.
0: Mm. Yeah. I just think yeah I've really noticed in the past few years it's it, it's really kind of taken off or maybe that's just because in my world it has because I've started to notice um what it's all about but I suppose the final question I pose to you all before I you know let you go and actually enjoy the rest of your evenings, um is to anyone who does want to try poetry um you know spoken or written, um but feels like it's not for them I suppose there is this kind of view it is quite elitist or you know you have to be a bit fancy or know lots of big fancy words I mean what would your advice be um Jo let's start with you
3: (laughs) um I would say no you didn't need lots of fancy words you just need words and to start writing you know start writing and then read (laughs) as much as you can and as widely as you can um you know because sometimes things that I turned my nose off a bit, ended up being really inspiring, I've got something out of it, and um, so yeah, just, just right. And
0: Christian?
2: Yeah, there's no one in the world that poetry isn't for, at its core, in the most truest sense. And people who think that it, it does belong to a certain group of people, or people who try keep it for themselves and say you can't do that because of this x, y and z. You know I don't want to hear poetry from those people you know I, I want poetry to be that
1: space where anyone can occupy it.
0: And Jack the final words from you? No pressure.
1: <laughs> I guess in less lockdown times um, that every town every village every hamlet will have a poetry scene it's surprising and it's pocketed and it's sometimes a little difficult to dig up but your local pub your local cafe there'll be an open mic night there'll be a spoken word night i'm sure there will be there'll be there are poetry enthusiasts throughout the country and it's about sort of getting in touch and finding common clans and communities in current lockdown times social media a good way forward um but again like people want to share their work so you don't have to look too hard to find it
0: amazing and on that that kind of i suppose finishes the this episode of the podcast so thanks so so much um for your time this evening it was such a lovely conversation and really grateful to hear from you all It'd be nice to stay in touch and um i'm going to be kind of I've made a note of all those places um so when covid lifts i can maybe dabble you might see me somewhere you might not <laughs> i'll let you guys know